0: You are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his
1: love. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him.
0: All right, thank you, Matt. Well, today we start the Gospel of Mark, a week after celebrating Easter, and it was such a joyful occasion last week. We gathered here and we read the finishing verses of Romans 8, and just on time here with Easter, the spring rains have come. Maybe you've seen enough rain for a little while now and the grass is just greening up like crazy, and the buds are popping on the trees. And with this change in seasons comes a change in seasons for us in Scripture. We've been in the first half of Romans, and now we're going to head into a season with the Gospel of Mark. And this is going to feel like such a shift because Romans is the quintessential New Testament letter. It's the Apostle Paul laying out some of the richest theology in the Bible— With these long sentences and trains of thought. And now in Mark, we're going to totally shift gears and move into a story format in the Gospels. And of all the Gospels, Mark is straightforward, action-focused, and compact. And yet one thing is the same in Romans and in Mark, the focus is all about Jesus. The very same figure whose life and death is going to be outlined for us in Mark is the one who led Paul to write some of the most profound spiritual statements in the Bible. And so with that segue, I want to invite you to join us each Sunday, the spring and summer, as we study the Gospel of Mark, which is, of course, the very book of the Bible that we're translating for the Timbaro people. And I want you to imagine that the day will come when the Timbaro people will receive... The Gospel of Mark for the first time, and they'll open up to chapter 1, verse 1, and they'll read these words The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And how many of us know that a new beginning is a good thing? Maybe you have been looking for a new beginning in your life lately. Maybe you've had some experiences where. Things didn't pan out so well, or some painful things from your past that have followed you around. Maybe you've made some mistakes, and a new beginning is exactly what you need. Maybe it's been just an exhausting last year, and you're kind of worn out and looking for some fresh perspective or a new sense of peace. Maybe right now you have some big decisions on your plate, or things are just up in the air and really unsettled. Maybe you've been asking yourself questions about faith, and you're looking for some direction. Maybe you've been following Jesus, but you're in a season where you've just been battle-weary, and you need some fresh encounter with Him. Whatever the case might be, when it comes to Christ, we get word of a new beginning. In Greek, it's the same word as basis, or the foundation of something. And that foundation for us is going to be in the good news of Jesus. So the opening verse of Mark is kind of like a title over the whole book. It is the big splash where Mark declares his hand. And he really lays out the framework of everything that we're going to read. You know how in Star Wars, how each of the movies starts with the blue letters on the black screen? Anybody know what it says right off the bat? I can hear mumbling. We have the air exchangers on, so a little bit louder. There it is, yes. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then what happens? I mean, if you have the volume up too loud, you get startled out of your seat because that John Williams main theme kicks in. I'm not going to try to sing it or imitate it, but you know. And then Star Wars in yellow letters just blasts on the screen. This is kind of what Mark is doing here in the first verse as he announces the good news. And the word good news is the word euangelion. It's where we get our word gospel. So if gospel has sounded like a church kind of word, or maybe you just knew it as a genre of music, this is really your definition. It just means good news. And the original readers would have been very familiar with this word, this term euangelion. If they were Jewish, they would have thought back to the Old Testament where there in Hebrew the word is used for the news of victory from the battlefield. So before cell phones and emails and live TV broadcasts, they would actually have to send a messenger from the battlefield to take news of victory back to the capital city. And yet even more immediate and something that everybody reading Mark's gospel would have understood was how this word was used in connection with the Roman emperor. The emperor's were treated kind of like gods whenever there was the event of the birth of a new heir or his accession to the throne, they would call the news of that gospel. That was the good news. But here's the deal in the Greco-Roman world. It was only good news if you were on the emperor's good side or if you had enough social standing that you would benefit from it. For all the rest of us common folks, it just meant more taxes, more slavery, and more expendable human life in service to Rome. So you see how Mark is using this word? Along comes Jesus and Mark says, This is the beginning of the true gospel. The good news for all people, not just a select few. And it's not news about some self-deifying emperor It's news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And both of those terms there at the end of the verse are packed with meaning. Messiah is the word Christos or Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name like it might appear to us sometimes, but it means anointed one. If you were Jewish, this took you right back to the Old Testament where the Messiah, the anointed one, had been promised and people were waiting and waiting For the Savior to come and set them free. And Mark is saying here, He's here, the anointed one has arrived, and this is his story. But what do we know? It's going to look different than what people were expecting, won't it? Nevertheless, he's not just the Messiah, he's the Son of God, Mark says. And that's as audacious a claim as it sounds. Mark doesn't pull any punches here. From the very first verse, he's saying, I'm going to tell you about Jesus The Son of God. And that's the answer to the question that He wants you and I to be asking all spring and summer as we read these pages. Who is this Jesus that we're reading about? We're going to watch this play out in the weeks to come where Jesus will start to teach and the people will say, Who is this that teaches on His own authority? Or we'll see Him cast out demons and the people will say, who is this that even impure spirits will obey him? Or similarly, he'll be on the Sea of Galilee, in the stormy waters where some of you will join us next spring. And they'll watch him calm the sea and they'll say, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And in verse 1, Mark is giving away the answer. This is the answer key before we get into the lesson. He's saying, This is Jesus. He is the Son of God. And I want to show you something that I think is fascinating in Mark. It really is a way that Mark bookends his gospel with this statement. So turn with me, if you have your paper Bible or on your phone, to Mark 15. We're going to go to the scene of the crucifixion. Keeping in mind this question that Mark is wanting us to answer. Who is Jesus He's answered it in verse 1 of the first chapter. Now watch what happens at the cross. Mark 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. And that is the question that we want to be wrestling with that we want to be answering. Whether you don't really know much about Jesus, the Y Church has always been a safe place for people to come and kick the tires and ask questions and wrestle with doubts. So whether you don't know much about Him or you've been following Him closely for many years, the opportunity we have in Mark is to get to know Him for the first time or better than you have before. And that is why we're translating this book for the Timbaro, so that they too can read it for themselves and wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus? And what does it mean if I follow him? In our own culture, I think we should be aware of how this question gets answered around us implicitly and explicitly all the time. And in ways that would water down the gospel or compromise it. So just like the Jews had a certain kind of idea of the Messiah that they expected. We can have a certain idea of Jesus that matches our comfort level. So he's allowed to be good and a moral teacher, but eternal Son of God? And a lot of our culture would say that's a little bit overstated. Or he's allowed to be kind and a benevolent example, but king of the earth, judge over all creation? That sounds a little uncomfortable. And we recognize that the true gospel, the real Jesus, is far more radical and explosive than many of us are prepared to allow. And that goes for our secular surroundings, but it also goes for a sort of cultural Christianity and a civil religion that can creep into our churches and lull us to sleep. God cannot and will not be confined by our human expectations. Well, we should press on. Some of you are nervous it's just verse 1. Let's go talk about John the Baptist. Let's move into that portion. He's a guy who didn't fit expectations either, did he? What would you call John the Baptist? I mean, Mark doesn't use this word, but let's just be candid. John the Baptist is a little weird, isn't he? He lived out in the wilderness. He wore camel hair clothes. He ate locusts and honey. Now the honey we can deal with. The locusts sounds very strange. Although, did you know that there are people who eat locusts? Yes, they're apparently very nutritious. You can go, kids, maybe ask permission. Check it out. But you can order edible grasshoppers on Amazon. Have it delivered right to your house. But if John the Baptist was an unusual character... Listen to what Jesus said to him. Listen to his legacy in Matthew 11. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's quite the statement. As my mom would say when I was growing up, weird is good. I don't know exactly what she was trying to say about me, but I remember her using that slogan. But she was in youth ministry when I was growing up. And here's one thing I think she was saying, that if you're a student and you're at school and you want to follow Jesus, then you had better be prepared to look a little bit weird and be a little bit different. So John the Baptist, he's camped out in the wilderness down by the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. And people from the countryside and from Jerusalem would come and they'd hear his message and be baptized. We're going to talk about baptism after worship next week. And this word means to dip, to immerse, to cleanse, to wash with water. And this was a familiar thing for Jewish people in two ways. First, a baptism is how a non-Jewish person would be initiated into the people of Israel. So it was an initiation for foreigners. And secondly, baptism was how an impure person in their system of purity laws, would become clean. And so notice the significance now that Jewish people are coming to confess their sins and be baptized like foreigners and those who were impure. It signaled a new beginning. It was a baptism of repentance. And repentance is a Bible kind of word, but... Though it's long, it's easy to understand. Literally what it means is to change your mind and to turn around. And we all know what that's like. When you're driving somewhere and you change your mind and you decide you're going to go somewhere else for dinner tonight. A different restaurant than you had in mind. That's a mundane example. Many of us too can relate to the more serious matters of maybe it is some addiction that you have then decided to walk away from. So we see how John is preparing people to meet Jesus. And his message, quoted earlier, was prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. And he helped us to see that the place that is most crooked, the path that is most precarious, is actually the one through the human heart. That we do need a Savior. I do need to be washed clean of sin. And the question for you and I is Have you and I come to terms with this in our own life? Have we said this about where we're at? Because you can know facts about Jesus. You can attend church. You can be raised in a Christian home. But until you personally acknowledge I am a sinner, you won't be ready to know Jesus as Savior. Ed Welch says, Deep change is rarely a matter of knowledge. It is a matter of repentance. So that's what's happening out there at the Jordan. People are turning away from their sin. They're heading in a new direction and being baptized. And yet, even John knew, we see it by his words, that his baptism was symbolic and that he was, in a sense, just the warm up band. He said, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We left off last week in Romans 8, in a chapter that mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times. And here in Mark 1, we make the connection, it is the Holy Spirit who is the central figure in launching Jesus' ministry. And later on, it's going to be Jesus who will turn and send the Holy Spirit out upon every believer. But here we are still in the story at the Jordan. And finally, we're introduced to Jesus in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And in this simple introduction, we're reminded of how God works in surprising ways. Remember where the wise men, the magi in the Christmas story, remember where they went to find Jesus? They showed up and they went to Jerusalem. Because, you know, he's the newborn king. Certainly he must be in the palace, in the capital city. But they didn't find him there. They asked around. Eventually the star leads them to the little town of Bethlehem. And now it's 30 years later and God is still working in this same way and He still is working today in this same pattern. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, it says, came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now to you and I, that doesn't mean much. But let me tell you that Galilee was not a cool place to be from. I was on a school trip in high school with students from other states and we were out in Washington, D.C. And I'll never forget there was this girl from California who I wanted to get to know better. And so I'm asking her where she's from. She's asking me where I'm from. And I say, Wisconsin. I grew up in Wisconsin. And she says, Oh yeah, Wisconsin. That's down by Florida, right? I didn't know how to respond to that. But what was clear to me is that Wisconsin was apparently not as noteworthy as either California or Florida. So Jesus is from Galilee, in our terms, flyover country. You might be a redneck if you came from Galilee. Some of you from the 90s, remember those jokes. And Nazareth in Galilee was even worse off. Do you remember what Nathaniel said? I think that some of you have been watching The Chosen I think this comes up in one of the scenes. Nathanael says in John 1 Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's not mentioned in the entire Old Testament. And yet Jesus came from Nazareth. This is the way that God works. Now, why was Jesus baptized? Jillian read it for us. He's the Son of God, he's without sin, no need of repentance. Why is he baptized? Some scholars say it was to identify with the people who he had come to save. Others say he was validating the ministry of John the Baptist. Both are good suggestions. Jesus himself gives a somewhat mysterious reply. This is what was portrayed for us in the children's Bible when he says it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. That's what he tells John. Ultimately, we don't exactly know the why, but what is spelled out is what happened. When Jesus comes up out of the water, there are three things that happen. Heaven is torn open, the Holy Spirit descends, and a voice speaks from heaven. The first thing we recognize here is that all three persons of the Trinity are present at Jesus' baptism. And whenever this happens, it should catch our attention. Secondly, we have God the Father answering that key question that Mark has been wanting us to ask and answer. Who is Jesus? And who do we hear now answering that question? God the Father saying to Jesus, You are my Son. This is Jesus, the Son of God. And thirdly, we see the significance of heaven being torn open. It is a very specific word that's used here. It's the word schizo, And it means to split or to tear into two. God is splitting the sky. He is tearing open the heavens at Jesus' baptism. We'll talk more about it next week. But the kingdom of God is arriving with Jesus. And yet something else is going on here that I want to show you. Again, turn with me to Mark 15. Right before the centurion said, surely this was the Son of God. That's what we read earlier. Look what it says in verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It is the exact same word, schizo, and this is the only other place it appears in the whole gospel. Do you think Mark is trying to tell us something? Absolutely. Not only is God tearing open the heavens at the beginning, but He is tearing the dividing curtain of the temple at the end. And this curtain or veil in the temple is what separated people from the most holy place in the temple where the presence of God dwelled. And why the separation? It's because we're sinful people and God is so holy and awesome. It's like God telling Moses in Exodus 33, you cannot see me and live, Moses. That's the devastating effect of sin is it splits us and tears us away from God. But when Jesus died on the cross, the separating power of sin is defeated. Hebrews 10 says we have confidence To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And that's why the tearing of the heavens in Mark 1 is so important because it foreshadows for us what Jesus has come to do. And don't miss it. It's to bring you and I back into the very presence of God. Isaiah 64:1, as we wrap up our study this morning, Isaiah calls out to God and says, I think a prayer that resonates very much with what many of us feel at times of our life. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked up into the heavens and you have longed so badly for God to come and to intervene and to set things right? Have you ever been so desperate to know Him, to know that He is with you? There is good news for you today that God answers this prayer. Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He answers this prayer because He did tear open the heavens and come down. His Son's body was torn open for us at the cross. He has come down to save us from this sin-sick world, from the power of Satan, and from ourselves. So if you need a new season, if you need a new beginning, a fresh start, a second chance, then you have come to exactly the right place. This is the beginning of the good news for you about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, even as we say your name, Some of us are longing to know you in a personal way. Some of us have only known your name from a church service or like it's a name out of a history book. But Lord, we hear you calling today that you have invited us to know you personally. And I pray that today would mark the beginning of a brand new season for those of us who are ready to meet you. And for others who have been following you, Lord, following you perhaps for many years, Lord, would you bring us a fresh encounter with who you are? That the more we would know you, the more we would long to know you. Lord, we we just want to tell you thank you this morning, that we love you, and that we come to you on the confidence of Jesus whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.